morning we kick off this new conversation about missing something. Isn't it bumper great? Like, it took our video arts team, it took them two and a half hours to put together that 3,000 piece puzzle thing, filming it and, you know, doing that whole speed up thing. That was amazing to me. But we're kicking off this conversation about missing something because I think that, like, I just, I've been processing this for a long time and, like, this thing that happens at some point in every single one of our lives, there is a time where we get to a place where we ask this question, where we identify something is missing. Like, I, I've got all the things that I think I need to have, and yet something is missing. And what amazes me as a pastor is uh, over my many years of doing ministry and life, that I've had these same conversations with people in their 20s, that I have had with people in their 40s and 50s, and it all is based on the same thing. It all comes back to the same thing. Like people in their 20s are like, yeah, like so, so I've, you know, I got my college degree, and I thought, you know, once I get that, then I'm going to feel fulfilled. And then, you know, I got my car, and then I signed for a house, and I'm doing all these things, and, you know, I'm even putting off, like, marriage or putting off other things so I can get all the things lined up that I need to have to be happy, to be fulfilled. And yet, this is the conversation they're having with me. This is the question they're asking. What am I missing? There's something, like, what, what's next? Because I did all the things I had on my checklist, and something's still missing. Right? Or I, the conversation looks different, like in midlife, right? When people are looking back over their shoulder and they're like, you know, I only got so many more years to live and I'm thinking about the years that I have lived and I'm going like, what have I, what have I done? What have I accomplished? What will I accomplish? What does it all mean? Something is missing. And I've come to believe that there's part of it, at least a part of this questioning that we have done in our culture and that we do over and over and over again is because We've come to value in our Western American culture freedom, personal freedom, as the total answer to fulfillment, right? The more I can see and experience and buy and have and do, the happier I will be, right? I will be fulfilled by experiencing more and more personal freedom, and please don't get in the way of my personal freedom. And that's what we want to talk about, like, because... I believe that's a myth. I believe that's something that we've been sold that is not really answering this question, and it's proven out to be by how many people ask this question over and over and over again. At a time in our lives where we have more disposable income than we've ever had, where at a time in our history where we have more access and more freedom to express ourselves, to do what we want, to have nothing off limits to us, like at a time when all of that is happening, Ultimately, why is it that more and more and more people in our, in our society are unhappy, depressed, and missing something? And that is the base of the conversation I want to have, so the question that we're going to ask over the next three weeks. What are we missing? What are we missing? And I think, and this is important, and we'll talk about this, the, the freedom plays a role in all of that, but I think it's a lot different than we think it is. And so we're going to look at how personal freedom, how the freedom that God gives us actually does play a role, but it's very different than what we think. So today, we're going to start the conversation over the next few weeks just talking about two deeply, deeply genetically, we have to have deep in our soul longings. That in order, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to enjoy life, if you're going to be fulfilled, you need to fulfill these two belongings. And so that's what we want to talk about. We're going to start this week by talking about the longing for belonging. How every one of us 
longs to belong. Like we, we want to know and be known. We want to have friendships, right? That we're like deeply, we can be ourselves in. We want to be accepted and have a place where we can truly be ourselves. And not that like, hey, just accept me. This is where I am and, and you know, deal with it, right? But like, this is who I am in all vulnerability. And now you know me and you'll walk with me and you'll stay with me and we'll go on a journey together. This is, I think, what people mean when they say, I'm living my best life, right? Because I, I mean, when I say that, and I say that with some, some sarcasm, but I think it's really driven by an inner need that we all have. When we say, I want to live my best life, what we're saying is, which is what my 20-year-olds told me, is, Dad, I think that everyone just really wants to be happy. I think they're right. I think we want to find some level of fulfillment and contentment and joy, and that somehow there's something missing, and I think one of those things, and I think this is what the Scripture speaks to, and I think this is what our culture speaks to, and I think we would all say if we were honest deep down inside, one of those things is belonging. And, 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 I, and I, the science proves this out, right? Like, we know that any child, when you're first born in those first formative years, if they lack connection, if they lack true belonging, a safe environment where they feel loved and accepted, it does damage to them the rest of their life. They carry that wound with them, right? Some of you, like me, have carried one of those wounds, and God has healed it and begun to heal it and continue to heal it. And you know, like, yeah, that's, that's a real thing, right? Some of you know that like like some of those things that you are not connected with in your family of origin or some friendship or, or you've had a betrayal in your life, someone that you felt safe with and they felt betrayed by them, right? Why does it cut so deeply? Because of this longing for belonging that goes deep within us. I mean, in our current culture, right, what do we do to solve this? We have built technology after technology after technology to try to solve this problem. Have you noticed that? We have built, doesn't matter whether it's Facebook, which your grandma is on, that's, not why, that's why you're not on Facebook, it's because your grandma's on Facebook and you'd rather be social someplace else, but it like, doesn't matter whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok, like somewhere in your life there is this social media and all of it has built to been built to fill this gap, for this longing to belong, to be connected. And so I've been doing a little reading on that, and there's, there's this interesting phenomenon that, that, and I think as soon as you hear it, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, no, I've, I felt that. I think that's true. But that psychologists have done these studies, and they said, listen, if you deeply engage in social media, two things happen. And this is important because you're going to see, like, oh, I see the gap. One thing is if you really deeply engage in social media, you will feel more connected. People who engage on a regular basis with others in a meaningful way feel more connected through that technology. And at the same time, now listen, this is, this is the, it gets a little weird, right? At the same time as feeling more deeply connected, their level of connectedness goes up, and so does their level of feeling inadequate. It rises with it. You, right? I see head shaking like, yeah, no, I've recognized that. Like, the level of connectedness and the level of feeling inadequate rise at the same time, and guess what can't happen when both of them go up? Belonging. You can't belong when both of them are on the rise. And this is the issue that all of us want. And the truth is there's a lot of people amongst us, maybe including yourself, who would rather have a social following than a social life, who would rather people like some other version of themselves than the real version of themselves because they have such deep doubts about anyone really liking the real version of themselves. And so we do all these things. That we, there's all these apps that you can, you, know, you can filter 
your image. Like, you know, I looked for some yesterday, and I was like, wow, you can, like, change your chin, and you can change your nose, you can change your eyebrows. Unfortunately, there are no versions where you can change your hair, right? Like, bald guys, what is going on that there is no app for us, right? Like, we can change. Look, this is the hair version of me, right? Look, my dreadlocks. Like, I've always wanted that, and yet no, no one's buying them. So, like, Here's the thing, we can do, and this is the crazy thing to me, like, you know, when people are like, wait, wait, take the picture of me like this, like, this is my best side, right? Like, like, you do realize you live in three dimensions and people can see all around you all the time. Like, in real life, you can't, no, no, just look at me like, like, that would be really weird. Please don't do that, right? You're going to freak everybody else out if you, like, you, you know, don't just talk to me like this. So, like, here's the thing, we can't filter ourselves in real life. The real you exists in the real world. And the solution isn't to prop up an image. There has got to be a different way. And the question is, what are we missing? And that's what we want to tackle today by looking at uh, Scripture text in Luke chapter 7, where we find a woman who is, says, I want to follow God's plan. God must have a better way. And she comes to Jesus. So if you want to follow along today, you can look in your Bible, your Bible app in Luke chapter 7. Uh, you can follow along in, this, in the scoop inside us an outline with some Scripture in it. We're going to be talking about this story where this woman comes to Jesus. A little context, though. Jesus is at dinner at a Pharisee's house. That's a religious leader's house. His name is Simon. He invites him over for dinner, and Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to Simon's house. Now, Pharisees are notorious for being pious, holy, kind of sometimes look down the end of their nose at others who aren't as religious. And underneath all of that, and this is what I believe, I kind of they sometimes I think scholars give them a little bit of a bad rap because they see this, they, they talk about the surface level of what the Pharisees do, and frankly, the things that Jesus kind of confronted them with, but if you look at Jesus' stories, he, what he was really confronting is a deeper need for the Pharisees to recognize their need for God, their true need for belonging, because Pharisees, as much as they're, we look at them and like, I can't believe they're religious, and they're judgmental, and I don't like those people, they're performers, they're prop up their image people, they're Look, I'm not so bad. Look, I did that thing. Look, I'm really somebody. And isn't that all of us at some place in our lives where we do the same thing? And so Simon, the Pharisee, invites Jesus over for dinner. And if you look at the chapters before, there's a bit of like, I'm going to kind of impress my friends that I invited Jesus over, kind of taking a risk here, I'm kind of testing Jesus, but I'm also kind of figure, trying to figure this whole thing out. And so Simon invites Jesus over, and they're going to have a dinner. And along with, if you're a Pharisee and you invite Jesus over, you're inviting your religious, pious friends over. And so everybody in the room's kind of got this same, I've got my act together, except for Jesus and his disciples who come into the room, and they're kind of different. And this is the environment when they sit down. And it says in verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus over to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And in Jewish culture, you would have sat on the floor, you reclined with your feet away from the table because everybody wore sandals. And you know, have you ever been the person, maybe like you've taken off your sandals and you went, wow, whose feet stink? And it was you, have you ever, just me? I'm the only one who's done that? Okay. Well, I've done that, right? Where I've taken off my shoes and been like, wow, someone's feet stink. I'm like, oh, that's me. Right? Like, that's my, that's my leather sandals. But that's what happens when your feet are in, like, raw leather. Like, you're walking around, you're sweating. Like, this is Jewish culture. So you sat down, you put your feet away from the table because food doesn't taste good in the locker room. Right? So this is kind of what's happening. And as they sit in this circle, right, and as they sit with all these very religious, pious people in this circle, it says a woman 
in town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, you can imagine you're having this dinner party, right, with your, with your friends, with this person that you're kind of trying to impress a little bit, and in barging into your dinner party, unannounced, uninvited, is the person that you would least want there at that moment, right? So the person you're like, a stranger that you don't know, not really, but everybody knows, because her reputation is a woman that lived a sinful life. Now, scholars kind of project like what they think that might be, whether it's prostitution or something else. It doesn't really matter, because her reputation was everybody in the community knew her as the woman who lived a sinful life. There been that person in your family, in the room, with others, that you're like, yeah, I'm the person here that, like, everybody knows that I've got a story. That I've got stuff, junk in my back. And I don't really like walking into that environment because I like walking in environments where people don't know that about me. And I'm walking in an environment where they do. This is this woman. She walks in. This, how would you like to be this woman? Everywhere she goes, she is known as that woman who's messy and deeply messed up and things aren't right in her life and she's troubled and she walks in to this religious leader's home and you know I can't even imagine like her can you imagine she's standing outside the door before she comes in she knows what she's about to walk into what's going through her head in that moment what are the questions she's asking her heart like will they reject me because when she walks into the room everyone is waiting you know, they're watching for Jesus' reaction to condemn her, to tell her that she's uninvited, that she's unwanted, that this is not the place for her, that she doesn't have a seat at the table. And you, you know that about her, and you go, why would she come in? Why would you walk through that door when you know everyone in there is judging you, and everyone in there is going to have some words for you? Why would you walk through that door when they might mock you, they might reject you, the public humiliation is like one of the worst feelings you could feel? Why would she go in? Why would she even try? Because she is looking for something that we all want deeply enough that we would be desperate enough to have that it comes, and that is our longing for belonging truly belong because she's watched Jesus she's seen how he loved she said I can't keep living the way I'm living anymore I can't live with this by myself aloneness so she doesn't come pretending she doesn't come defensive she doesn't come prideful she just shows up and says Jesus I want to be loved by you I don't want to pretend any longer I don't want to fake it I don't want to act like I have it together I'm just gonna come with all of my brokenness and walk in the room something happens in that moment because we all long for the same thing she longs for verse 38 says as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears can you picture this? Like she's standing behind him weeping. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears. Like this is not like, oh, I had a little allergy reaction here, um, but I'm okay. Like this is not like, oh, I don't want, like this is like, you know that time when you're trying to tell that story and something just emerges in you and you are like 
not rockets. I mean, it's the whole thing, right? You're like, oh, it's just coming out. You're like, I can't, I can't. And you can't even get it out. And there's just tears coming down because you just, something inside of you has broken loose. And you can't even contain it. This is her. I mean, that's how many tears it takes to wet someone's face. This is not, I'm a little sad. This is something inside of me I've come in touch with. And it's real. And I understand who I am. And in whose presence I'm with. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears. And then it says, she wiped them with her hair. This is not like, hey, Jesus took a shower. His feet are nice and pristine. She wiped them with her hair. It says, she went on. Some of you are like, right? Like, I want you to think about, like, someone takes their shoes off today and says, kiss my feet, right? How many of you are going to volunteer for that job? I mean, this is, this is the reality of where she, like, I just, you, we need to grasp how broken she is and how much she longed to be accepted and loved and, 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 and the chance she was taking with Jesus as she kissed them and she poured perfume on him. And this is not just any jar of perfume. It says this is the alabaster jar of perfume. And, and, and when we look at that in Scripture, this is probably this perfume, according to some other stories, this is probably perfume that, like, when she brings it, it is in a jar and it is sealed tight. It is a family heirloom. And it's not the kind of jar where you say, does it come out with a little dipper? You just put a little bit on. Like, it's not that at all. It is like you got handed this. It is a year's worth of wages. And your family handed it down to you so that when you got married in the celebration, you would break it open one time only, all in. You use it up, this year's worth of wages perfume, all at once, you use it up. This is like your future. This is like everything that has been given to you. And she takes it, and she breaks it open, and she pours it over Jesus' feet as if a gesture to say, I'm all in. This is all I have. This is all I want. This is all everything that I could need right now in this moment. This is where she is. She comes with humility. Now, the custom of the Jewish culture, if Simon, had Simon really invited Jesus in, to welcome the custom would have been that the servant in the house, probably the lowest servant in the house, would have come with a towel and a bucket and washed the guest's feet as they arrived. There's no one to wash the feet of anybody in the room. No one's washing feet except this woman. With her tears, she doesn't come with a towel and, a, and she comes soaking Jesus with her tears and her brokenness at the feet of Jesus, wiping them with her hair Saying, Jesus, I'm not going to dress tonight. I don't need to look acceptable. I just, in all vulnerability, Jesus, I need you. She's saying, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my life pretending any longer that I have it together or that I need to. I'm going to take this big change. You know, the big risk. And 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 the Simon, the Pharisee, observes this, and he says something that is so really insightful, and we read it at face value, and we just say, isn't he judgmental? But there's something really insightful about what he says. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who invited, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man really knew what God was like, if this man knew the God that I know, 
right, that you have to get it all together for and have it all together for before you're accepted. If, if he really understood all the rules and all the things that you better do because God's so holy and so just and doesn't want anything to do with us, you better prove yourself to him. You better get it all together. If he really understood that, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is because she's a sinner. Do you hear it in Simon's voice? I have such deep doubts that I could ever be accepted. I would never let someone else touch me like that because I would be rejected by others. I have such deep doubts. I am hiding all of who I am right now because I can't let others know what's really going on in the inside. I can't really be real in this environment. Like In this moment, Simon says something and he puts his finger on something so important in our humanity. And it's this, that we all want to belong, but we got doubts. Like We all have doubts about whether we could truly belong. Simon feels it. This woman feels it. And you and I feel it too. We all have these moments, right, where we have doubts. Could I truly belong? If people really knew me. If they knew the stories in my past, if they knew the things that go on in my head that I've thought or I've said about them or others, like, would anybody really love me? Am I truly lovable? And this is this plays out in your life all the time. It's why when you go to a party, you know, and like, like maybe 20 people come up to you at the party and they're like, hey, you look really good tonight. Hey, it's great to hear that story about you. Hey, and you've got like 20 people and they all compliment you and one person has this cutting critique. You go home and I guarantee you, you don't remember any of the other words that are spoken at the party, do you? That one person's critique, just as your spouse hears about it for a week. Your friends hear about it. You, they're just swirling around it. Why is that? Because down underneath all of it, no matter what you say, no matter how good of a front you put up, there's a doubt deep within you, right? Can I really be lovable? Is it really okay to be who I am? Maybe that showed up in your family of origin where you never really felt quite accepted. And you've been longing for them to still do it. You're putting all this pressure on them to still do it. You still don't, you don't quite feel it. You feel inadequate. You feel like, you know, or maybe it's in your marriage and you expect your spouse to do all that for you. But they're a broken person too and they're just not able to ever keep quite up with filling your tank of belonging. Or maybe it's even with your kids. I think a lot of us raise our children, and we, you know, we want them to feel accepted, and we invest all this into them, and we don't, we don't make sure their life is safe and good and all that kind of stuff. But if we really told ourselves the truth, something deep within us wants our kids to accept us. We want to be acceptable to them, be their friends. And we find this most true when they become teenagers, right? And suddenly we're not the smartest person on the planet. We're not their hero. They become young adults and they don't need us anymore. And suddenly we're like, what is going on? I got this thing inside of me and I don't know what to do with it. Because I wanted, I wanted them to be the answer to all my belonging and my longing for belonging. That's why social media will never answer your problems. Because no amount of connection can solve this issue on its own. It's why you, can, you can't just show up at like online and reach, you can watch the best preachers and the great content online, but you don't show up in presence of others seeking grace, and you still will miss it. True belonging, because it can't be solved by great content. There is no substitute. Listen, there is no substitute. This is what this woman is discovering. There is no substitute for being in the presence 
of Jesus and the presence of others who are seeking who are willing to be vulnerable. I mean, the reason the story has such power is because some woman comes in complete vulnerability and brokenness, and inside you go, I want that to be me too. I want to be able to come to Jesus in that same way. I want to have the same courage as she does to come into a presence of people and a gathering and say, this is who I am. God, I know that you love me, and it gives me the life and the love, and I can be imperfect with these others, and I can receive your grace and be at peace what Jesus, I think, dreamed that his church would be, a family, seeking his grace together. Because when we hear that story of this woman, we hear that story in someone else's life, do you know what we think? If it's true for them, maybe it could be true for me. Maybe it could erase that doubt for me too. In verse 40, Jesus addresses Simon the Pharisee's comments about this woman by saying, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. He says, listen, Simon, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the sins, the debts of both. Now, which will love him more? That's what I love about Jesus' stories, right? Like, it's been 2,000 years since he tells a story, and you all know the answer to the question. It hasn't changed. It's so deeply embedded in our human nature. Jesus knows us so well. He says, listen, who's going to love more? The person who's been forgiven all this great debt or the person who's been forgiven a little debt? We know the answer. So does Simon. But, I mean, he doesn't really like the answer. So in verse 43, he says, I suppose. I suppose. It's possible. Right? Because he's not, in this moment, he's beginning to realize who's who in the story. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt to pay. Jesus says, yeah, Simon, that's exactly right. And he turns to the woman and he says, and he says to Simon while he's looking this woman in the eyes. He turns to the woman. He doesn't turn to Simon. He turns to the woman and he looks her in the eyes and he addresses Simon while he speaks into her life. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. She's got this fresh start. She's got a new day. She's shown her great love as her great love has shown. For whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You see what's going on here? I mean, we, we look at this woman's life, and she is the, Jesus has made her out to be the hero of the story, and she is. And do you understand why? Because she's willing to come and be broken and vulnerable. She's willing to do the very opposite of what we all don't want to do in this moment. And that's, you know, when you sin, when I sin, right, we want to hide it. When we do that thing wrong, we knew we shouldn't have done it. And we're like, God, I better not, I better not, I just, I'm going to try to get it better myself before I show up. Right? When we, when our life is not going the way we want it, we don't tell other people about it. We try to fix it ourselves first. We try to get it right ourselves before we show up and let others see it. But this woman, the woman that Jesus makes a hero out of this story, this woman comes broken and honest and vulnerable and says, I've got a mess in my life. 
I long to belong, but I don't. What I need, Jesus, is you. How often in our lives are we just afraid? That doubt is a little too great. We've listened to it a little too long. We're not even sure that Jesus could erase it. We're a little afraid that if we took that chance with God, he would say, yeah, I know. And he's got his arms crossed. And that's, who is Jesus in this story? Are his arms crossed? Is he telling this woman, I told you so? Is he condemning her? Or does he have his knee, is he bending his knee down? Is he speaking to her and looking her in the eye and saying, you have done so well. Just to be honest and real. And now you know what belonging really is. To be accepted exactly where you are. But instead, we're like Simon. The Pharisee. Who fears that doubt so much that we try to clean it all up. People ask us how we're doing and we say, blessed, good. But we don't really mean it. We don't really have people in our life who are willing to confess to us. There are plenty of things in our past that we would rather hide. We hope never become known. And in that way, we're not really free. We're not really forgiven. We haven't really received grace. Because what Jesus says to Simon, and if I were to rephrase it, it would be this. It would be, he would look at Simon and he would say, Simon, I came because you invited me. But you're so afraid and you're so wounded. You couldn't even welcome me. You're so caught up in impressing that you can't even be yourself. You're so closed off to God's grace because you're trying to prove that you're good enough that you can't even receive it. And this woman comes. And Simon, do you see her heart? Do you see what God I really want? What I really after is her and all of her brokenness, and all of her mess. I'm not after the fake version of her. I'm after the real version of her, and he's after the real version of you who can receive his grace and be the real person in his presence. And the very thing that kept Simon from Jesus, the opposite of is what kept her, the very thing we're most afraid of that we do like Simon and hide it and try to act like it's okay, that was the thing that kept him from but the, but the woman who comes, the thing that we're most afraid of, the brokenness, and to be honest, to be real before God, that what he might say to us is the very thing that has drawn her close and given her real belonging. I wonder if we, I wonder if we would be willing to do that ourselves. Because I believe what Jesus was really saying to Simon in this passage is, what happens next is up to you, Simon. What happens next is up to you. Because Jesus looks at this woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You are in the presence of grace and you are forgiven. And all of your reputation is diminished because you are now my child. You are part of the family of God. I've erased it. I've forgotten it. And you're accepted and you don't need to worry about what others think of you anymore. Because you're in with me. The God of the universe has said, you're in. And you've received my grace. And that's all that's been required. Because here's the thing. True belonging can only be found in God's family where you truly belong. It cannot be found. There's lots of other organizations that talk about belonging. But you can't find it there apart from grace. 
And that's what's so powerful about what Jesus has said to this woman. It's so powerful about church. You hear that you know, people come into church, and I think many churches, maybe they have a bad reputation because there are people who are faking it. Too many people are faking it, but it's no wonder the church is messy because it's really saying this is the invitation of Christ. Come, all those of you who are broken and hurt and sick and in need of the God of the universe and are longing for belonging, come and be your real self. And learn to work it out in my presence of my grace. That's the invitation of Christ. That's what I believe he wanted his family to be. A place where grace abounds. With each other. With him. A place where you could truly belong. A place where it's okay to be imperfect. And yet be perfectly loved. And that's what Jesus was reassuring the woman when he said, listen. Your your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How many of us want to go in peace? How many of us are looking for that belonging? We've tried to find it a lot of places. One of the stories I just heard this week um, comes from a, 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 a thing that's called Alpha. That's a, a course, a, a way of helping people discover and talk about their faith. And it's Bear Grylls' story. And Bear Grylls talks about his own story of belonging and how he looked for it other places. And what God's done in him. And I just want you to hear a little bit of his story. Because I think we all relate to this. I think for so many years, you know, I always just strived to be strong in myself. And it was as if that all I needed was me and my buddies. And, you know, would be like invincible. But the truth is, none of us are. And I don't want to do this thing called life. I don't want to do it on my own. And it kind of feels like my longing for this this light inside is now stronger than my fear of what others might think. And people often ask, well, doesn't that make uh, faith like a crutch? And, you know, well, maybe, but, you know, what does a crutch do? Uh, A crutch helps you stand, and it makes you stronger. And in that case, you know, sure, I need a bit of that. But especially when it's so much more than that, when this faith inside is also also like a backbone, uh, helping me stand tall and helping me be strong when I'm really up against it, facing those odds, whether it's on a mountain or stuck in some jungle or just dealing with the storms, you know, with the storms of life. Uh, Sure, I need it, you know, I I need that. Uh, But at heart, my Christian faith says that I am, that I'm known, that I'm known to Christ. Uh, Bought at a price, uh, blessed with light. Uh, Faith says that we're loved regardless of our mess, uh, regardless of how many times we fall down, and that Jesus somehow picks me up. And sure, you know, I'll reach out to that. Why, why wouldn't I? You hear what we're always really saying there. He's been in the military. He's belonged to lots of places just like you have, whether it's a fan club or a family or whatever it is. He's saying the same thing that this woman has discovered, and that's you can belong to all those different organizations, but if you're still in that place of doubt, of saying, like, if you really knew me, if I stopped performing at the level I've been at, if, if, if you knew my story and my past or you knew what I've been thinking, you'd never let me be part of it. I wouldn't really belong. You can have all the organizations in the world that you're part of, but if it's missing this one ingredient, this one thing that's missing in your longing to belong is this, and it's God's perfect love. It's his grace. And without it, without actually receiving it and actually knowing it, 
you will always long to believe. You'll always be missing nothing. And so this morning, this is my, I think, the invitation of Christ to you. If you want to erase those doubts, if you want to have a different way of belonging, you want to actually move into erasing those doubts, that is the story of our lives and is what Jesus is inviting you to be a part of, to experience his perfect love. It is something that I love our church for because I, people say this all the time and I hear them say this like, I love David because it's a place that it's okay to be broken and to be loved and to be transformed. You don't have to be somebody else. If that's what I dream that Jesus wants for all of us, I believe it is God's invitation for every one of us today. And so my question is the same. Have you felt that nagging doubt? Have you seen it in the symptoms of you got regret, you got shame, you got things showing up in your life and you're carrying them with you and you can't say like that woman that you're going in peace. You live a life where you're worried about impressing people, you're worried about all this other stuff and you haven't really enjoyed the peace and the grace of Jesus where you are just loved by him. You're still faking it sometimes when you pray, you're still like worried about what God thinks of you, you're worried about it all the time and God's saying today, will you just receive my grace, will you just receive my perfect love? And maybe you thought you did it and it's in the past and you didn't know that Jesus is saying, no, no, you come every day and receive my grace because this is the invitation of Jesus. Do you have a family where you truly belong? The only place you will find it, the only place you'll find salvation and peace is at the feet of Jesus. This is what Jesus invites to you. And I believe he's extending that invitation to you this morning. Can you bow your heads in a moment of reflection as we... Have a moment of just prayerful reflection today. I'm going to ask you a few questions in this moment that you could maybe have a little conversation with God. First is, are you aware of your mess today? Are you aware of the places in your life that you're not proud of, that you have some regret? Because Jesus' invitation is that you would come broken, messy. Are you receiving his forgiveness actively today in this moment? Do you know that there's something, you know, you've got regret or you've got shame, you've got sin, you've got things that you're still hiding, and you just, in this moment, you're realizing that like this woman, you've been hiding it, you've been like Simon the Pharisee, and now you want to be like the woman who just comes to Jesus' feet this morning and says, Jesus, I want to receive your grace. I don't want to hide any longer. I'm tired of missing my belonging. There's something moving and stirring inside of you. Do you know Jesus' invitation to perfect love today? Are you experiencing grace in your life? Maybe you have never experienced it. Maybe this is like your thousandth time of needing it. Will you approach Jesus again this morning in prayer? So I offer you this prayer this morning to pray with me in your heart to join me in coming to Christ this morning. Jesus. This morning, I am aware that my life is messy. I'm aware that my sin has left me feeling broken, alone, unacceptable, inadequate. Jesus, today I receive your invitation to grace. I receive your forgiveness. I, I, I've rejected, I've, I've not forgiven myself, but today I put all that aside. I receive your forgiveness. 
Will you make me a son or a daughter? Will you shower me with your grace? I set aside all my pride and my doubt and my fear, and I just receive that you love me. That you love me. That you love me. That you love me. And for that, I am thankful. In Jesus' name.